Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 75. Psalm 75. Psalm 75. In a time of individual and corporate confusion, we have a tendency to get depressed, to get downright discouraged. Who will bring us cheer? Who will lift us up? We all want to be lifted up above the chaos of this world. Each of us here would love a sense of stability. Wouldn't that be nice? Our psalmist is looking for the same thing. And so let's pick that up in our sermon in a sentence. One must come down to lift up. One must come down to lift up. Let us pray. We'll jump right in. Gracious Father, even on our best days, we do not see this world aright. And so desperately now, Father, we need your Spirit. Would you pour out your Spirit on us that we may see what you have for us in your Word, that you may bless the preaching of your Word, that it may be faithful, and that you may write it on our heart. Give us a new lens that we may see this world and see you, that we may love you and trust you and obey you more than when we came. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 75, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all of its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady the pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. For not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine well mixed, and He pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. Thus ends the reading of God's Word this morning. And as we end His Word, it is a Word that is true, faithful, unchanging. There's a girl named Jennifer. She's 12 years old. And she stays on the phone a lot. She can't sleep. She can't eat. She can't process the world around her. 
Now it's not because she stays up all night on the TikTok and the Facebook. It's because her friends are constantly texting her. They're suffering with despair, with anxiety, with suicidal thoughts. At 12 years old, she has memorized the phone number to the suicide hotline. What's a 12-year-old girl wondering about these things? Her friends get on the internet and they're worried about college admission, sex abuse, deteriorating family situations, and now you can lump in COVID. Even at the age of 12 years old, she realizes that the earth is tottering. Her generation suffers from anxiety and depression at levels we have never seen. What are we to do? What's a 12-year-old girl to do? What's the 85-year-old man to do? If you turn on the TV, if you're brave, if you're brave enough to get on social media, you will see the earth is tottering. I used to believe that the news only reported bad things because gloom and doom sells. But I think it's more akin to a car that needs an alignment. You know, it's got a little bit of a shape to it. And the faster you go, what happens? The more it shakes. Our world is moving faster than we could ever imagine. And we're all starting to feel that shake, aren't we? I hear it in the old. As they talk about their death in joyous tones, they say things like, whew, I'm glad I don't have to live through this. You hear it in young people having kids. They you hear this fearful apprehension. They look to the day of a birth of a child and they say, I'm scared to raise my child in this world. The trembling in our voice rises from the trembling beneath our feet. The earth is tottering and we all seek stability. The new mantra for our day that seeks stability is lift as you climb. And at a glance, lift as you climb sounds great. You know, uh, as you enjoy success, as you enjoy stability, you invite others into it. You enjoy it together. You finish the race at the same spot. Long gone are the days of the corporate ladder where success was defined by how many people you could step on, when the top of the ladder was big enough for only one. Now we all run the same race, climb the same mountain, and we're expected to finish at the same time. However, there's two problems with this picture. On the one hand, lift as you climb will only take us so far because we are wicked and we proudly scale the mountain. For some time we will climb together, we will succeed together, we will rest together. And for a moment, we will enjoy a sense of stability. But it's only for a moment. You may remember in the Middle East, there was a famine. 
And Joseph scaled the walls of that Egyptian prison and rose the ranks and helped save Egypt from the famine. Joseph lifted, Pharaoh climbed. And for a period of time, Joseph and the Hebrews lived in harmony with Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But wickedness ended their joint climb. Pharaoh, his heart was lifted up, and when he feared being cast down, he cast the Hebrew boys down into the Nile River. Lift as you climb. We see it in Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel helped Nebuchadnezzar with the dream. Nebuchadnezzar climbed while Daniel and his three friends were lifted. Everything seemed to be great. But as Nebuchadnezzar climbed, so did the pride in his heart. The wicked, his wicked heart demanded to be worshipped. He demanded for his name to be lifted up. And when Daniel's three friends refused to bow the knee, when they refused to lift up the name of Nebuchadnezzar, he cast them down into the fiery furnace. Lift as you climb. It doesn't work, does it? We can use modern examples. Think of Ira Hayes, the Pueblo Indian, who on Iwo Jima climbed Mount Sarabachi and raised the flag on top of that storied mountain. When the government started their sixth war bond drive, they called him from the fields of battle so that he would be a spokesman to help them raise money. Lift as you climb. Unfortunately, Ira had a drinking problem. He could no longer help the government climb. So instead of helping him out, they shipped him out right back to the battlefield. He can no longer help them climb. Each of us here can think of someone famous, rich, successful, who once they got there, they suddenly forgot where they came from. The fact is, the world will only help lift as we climb so far. As we live by the new mantra, we find ourselves climbing a steep mountain, tethered to one another. And as we reach the top of this prized peak, as we scale the summit of success with limitless opportunities, do we trust that the world will not simply cut the core, cast us off, throw us down, each of us know the names of the wicked and the proud and the haughty who have done so already. We know their names because we have been among them. Our own hearts are deceitful. Who can know them? The sin raging in our hearts focuses only on self. We look at David. Oh, David, a man of God. And yet when he was on the roof looking at something he shouldn't have been, when he was at the top of his success, how quickly did he cast down his friend Uriah? How, friend, how quickly did he look out for self? 
after the wickedness of his own heart, how much was he lifted up? We're asking a bunch of narcissists in this world to play a team sport, and it doesn't work out well. And in matters of eternal consequence, is this where we place our hope? Lift as you climb as a problem. We're climbing with a bunch of wicked people. So on the one hand, we deal with wicked people. But on the other hand, the earth is tottering. We're trying to climb a mountain in an avalanche. We're trying to swim upstream in a tsunami. We're trying to reach heavenly glory on a rickety earthly ladder. But you know, when the condo collapsed in Miami, when that tower tottered, the worst thing they could possibly do was to climb upstairs. We may rise out of our humble beginnings. Our names may be emblazoned upon the pages and plaques of history. But what does that matter if the earth finally totters over? You see, the earth totters because of man's sin. When Adam sinned, when he broke God's law, he invoked a curse and the world has tottered ever since. We are all accounted as guilty and we have been cast down from God's presence. And in Genesis 3, it says that God visited Adam in the cool of the day. That same passage can be translated the storm of the day. That when Adam sinned and God approached, the leaves and the trees quaked under God's judgment. We see it in Sinai. God comes down to Sinai and the mount itself trembles. Thunder and lightning fill the sky. The entire earth is quaking. And we feel that in our hearts, don't we? We feel that same sense of dread as we look forward. We see that wicked institutions are ran by wicked people doing wicked things. And we tremble because we know that we're one decision away from doing the same thing. In fact, many of us have done the same thing. And we know that when God visits the earth, as peals and rumblings of thunder come from his throne, that kings and slaves, rich and poor, the me and the you, will tremble and fall to our knees as the entire world totters. Between now and then, we are filling up the cup of God's wrath to be poured out. And today, we can look to the east, I guess that's east. And we can look to the west. We can look to the state. And we can look to the safe. But none of these things can lift us up. We don't have a leg to stand on. The world is tottering. We have fallen. And we cannot lift ourselves up. But at a set time, at the fullness of time, When we were flat on our faces, God came down to lift up. As the earth tottered, the king of heaven clothed himself in clay. He laid in hay surrounded by the hoofs of servile animals. He spent his ministry eating with sinners and tax collectors, with the cast down and the cast out, with the ones this world could not lift 
because their lifting up came from God alone. We see it in Lazarus. John 11, Lazarus is down. And Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan. He's safe. He's away from the danger. But Lazarus is down. What does Jesus do? He comes down from his safety. He comes down into Bethany. He comes down to a group of men who long to put him down for good. But he came down because he loved Lazarus. Lazarus was his friend. Jesus came down. He wept. He comforted. He lifted Lazarus up. Jesus comes down to lift up. We see it in John 13. Jesus cast off his robe and lifted up the dirty feet of his disciples. He washed their feet. Guys, I don't wash feet. If this was a foot washing church, y'all would have to find someone else. Servants back then didn't even wash feet. That was a task saved only for slaves. And yet Jesus came down. He washed them, bathed them, taught them that lifting up comes from God alone. And that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, bowed down in that garden, feeling the froth and foam from His Father's cup, He was bowed down under the weight of God's wrath. And yet He would be lifted up, lifted up, to the cross as he lifted that cup to his very lips. As Ralph Erskine once penned, at one great draught of love, he drank hell dry. He emptied the cup that was filled for us. He was lifted up that we might be lifted up. This Jesus, clothed in clay, laid in hay, and crucified at midday so that the saints of God could say, we have been lifted up. I'm here to tell you, church, no man can lift as he climbs. No man can support his own weight, much less the weight of another. The proud cannot pull us from the slew of despair. The wicked cannot deliver us from the shadow of the valley of death. Only the God-man can come down and lift up. Peter puts his finger on the issue in 1 Peter 5. He says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Salvation and judgment go together. Throughout history, God has cast down the proud and haughty rulers and has lifted up those of humble estate. God has appointed a day, a set time, when all prideful opposition will cease. Their horns will be shorn. Their pride will be pilfered. Their riches will be exchanged for poverty. Their power for weakness. Their honor for dishonor. Their pride for shame. Their earth for hell. Their pride will be murdered in judgment. But our humility is birthed in salvation. The day of salvation has come, and that day is today. 
God displays His righteousness at the present time through Jesus Christ. He's the propitiation of God's wrath. The redemption of God's people. The sacrifice for our salvation. This God takes sin seriously. And He will not let it go unpunished. But this God takes grace seriously. And He sends Christ as our surety, as our substitute. Today is the day we drop the myth, lift as you climb. Today is the day we humble ourselves before the Lord, for it is God alone who lifts us up. He will exchange our poverty for riches, our weakness for power, our dishonor for honor, our shame for gladness, our earth for heaven. Sing praises to the God of Jacob. He has lifted us up from sin and death through the righteousness and life of Jesus Christ. For many of us here, we feel the earth is tottering. We have tried to steady its pillars through our ingenuity, through our hard work, through our very lives. Many of us are resigned to failure. The hope of stability, the hope of hope seems gone. Who are we to come to God? Who are we to expect God to lift us up at this point when we have treated grace like a last-ditch effort? C.S. Lewis calls it divine humility. He goes on to say, It's a poor thing to strike colors with God when the ship is going down under us. It's a poor thing to come to God as a last resort to offer up our own when our own is not worth keeping. And if God were proud, God would hardly accept us on such terms. But God is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He would have us, even though we have shown that we would prefer to have everything else instead of Him. And that we come to Him because there is nothing better to be had. Listen, my friends. God came down to lift up. Christ did not lay His life down for the good sheep, for the well-put-together sheep. He laid His life down for the lost sheep. He was lifted up for all who would come to Him And the only requirement He lays on us today is to come. God came down to lift up because He's the only one who can do the heavy lifting. Now for those who have come to Christ, today is a day of humility. There is a danger of being lifted up and looking down, of executing judgment on God's behalf. Like God needs the help. All men are made in the image of God with a need for God. As someone once said, every man needs one of two things. Jesus or more Jesus. Today is not the day we lift as we climb. Today is not the day we wait for people to lift themselves up. Today is the day we come down and we point up. As Mark 10, 45 says, 
Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We live in a world that is utterly divided. Race, wealth, mask, vaccine. Let's just get on a personal level. There's many of us in our community we're separated from. Bitterness, resentment, anger, grudges. But there is no divide so great that it will grant us an excuse. We are called to go down and to point up. If Christ came down to lift up, we are called to go down and to point up. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how thankful we are. How can we in our wildest imagination scale the distance from earth to heaven and calculate how valuable it was that Jesus came down to us? He came down to us when we didn't even want to come down to us. We're so thankful for the life of Jesus Christ. Father, would you stoke, would you stroke, stoke in us a sense of humility this day? A humble dependence on Christ and a humble atmosphere to our brothers. That as we all start under the condemnation of sin and death, may you lift us all up to heavenly glory. Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with me?